Welcome to Ms. Interpreted, her podcast of public relations and strategic communications demystified by Kelly Fletcher and Fletcher Marketing PR. And so it's a highly pitchable strategy and it's something that will get picked up over and over again and reshared multiple times. Welcome listeners to the Misinterpreted Podcast. I am Allison Lester, Media Relations Director for Fletcher Marketing PR, in for Kelly Fletcher, our CEO today. And I'm joined by my colleague, Vice President Sarah Merrill. Hello, thanks for joining us. We're going to be discussing trends for PR for 2023 today. What's working, what's not, new areas of opportunity. It's kind of hard to believe that we're already so close to the end of the year, The holiday season is upon us. I'm sure everybody's decorating, getting those turkeys ready. And Sarah, this will be a fun one for you. It's your first Christmas with a baby at home. It is. I've got a 10-month-old right now, and it sure will be interesting since we're kind of in that child-proofing stage right now. And so I I think the holidays this year, he's probably going to be more interested in the wrapping paper. (laughs) But but yeah, it'll certainly be be fun. And um, I'm sure for you, you have a middle schooler. Yeah, yeah. The gifts will look a little bit different this year, a little bit fewer toys. And um, I don't want to give too much away. But, <laughs> um, but you know, there won't be as many um, as many Legos and uh, G.I. Joes in the house this year now that we're in middle school. So, yeah, I look forward to seeing all of the videos of Atherton unwrapping his presents. <laughs> <laughs> same, same. Well, I know that it's easy to get kind of wrapped up in the holidays and family visiting and all of the things that we have going on, but it's also a really important time to be looking ahead to next year, Uh, not just wrapping up the year behind us, but also planning for future and strategically. We are encouraging our clients to, to really be putting together their strategic plans for 2023 And so we wanted to offer some of our predictions for what we think the public relations realm might look like in the coming year. I'm going to start off with one of Kelly's that she sent to us, and uh, this is one that's, that's in the headlines a lot right now, and that is the economy. We're all seeing with inflation and looming recession uh, and that that will have an impact on corporate budgets and business budgets. And so Kelly's prediction here is that it will lead to a reduction in force among internal communication teams, which could actually be an opportunity for PR agencies that more corporations and businesses might be looking to outsource marketing and PR needs and eliminating their internal comms departments uh, in order to make up some revenue. So we'll be poised for for that possibility in, in the coming year. And Sarah, you had a pretty bold prediction about the state of influencer marketing and why you think it might be dead moving forward. That's right. And I'm sure to hear that people would be pretty surprised since if you look at a lot of the statistics, influencers in a sense are 
very important. In fact, about 74% of consumers trust an influencer over a brand. And so people would probably see a lot of these statistics and say, well, how is influencer marketing dead? And so where I'm coming from with this is that there's been a shift. And you look at documentaries, Fake Famous, for instance, or you look at some of the parody accounts like Influencers in the Wild. And there's a connotation with influencers that's become very negative. A lot of influencers are out there. They're looking for fame. Some of them have bought their followers and they're posting just in order to get payment and free gifts and just free stuff. And they're a dime a dozen. It seems sometimes like any woman who's maybe a a Gen Z or, or millennial, even some of the younger Gen X, They put together an Instagram account that's perfectly curated and all of a sudden they're getting this following and they're an influencer, so to speak. I I say influencer like in, in quotes, but that's not what is going to really help a brand. What a brand needs are loyal brand advocates who are, they're advocating on their behalf. And so what I want brands to do is instead of looking at influencers to look for brand advocates, customers who are already using their products and know and love their products and have a history with their products, who also have a following that they can tap into on social media that truly meets their needs. And really consumers can smell fake from a mile away. And so I think that a lot of brands have been making this mistake of just going after influencers and only looking at followers and engagements instead of looking at who can be a good brand advocate for them. And so I think as influencers continue to get a bad rap in the media and documentaries and on social media, we're going to see this migration to brands instead going after the brand advocates. And so that's essentially why I say that it's dead. Those influencers in the wild (laughs) accounts are hysterical the the pictures of people trying to like get the perfect shot and make themselves especially at the beach oh my gosh I just look through those and laugh yeah if you haven't seen influencers in the wild before on Instagram I highly recommend that you check it out if you do want a very good laugh and of course Tons of documentaries out there these days about influencers. Check out Netflix, for instance. It really is amazing the lengths that people will go on social media to gain some fame. And you actually are an influencer, (laughs) but I can vouch that she is not one that would be caught on influencers in the wild. Um, And you're an influencer in the motorcycling community. So what has your experience kind of been like on that side of things and brands approaching you? Right. And so I think that's where some of that insight is gleaned as well. And so with Fletcher Marketing and PR, we we really bring two different sides to the table. And so we work with brands on influencer and brand advocacy partnerships. But then I also have the experience of, of doing it myself within motorcycling. And so, for example, I've been wearing Scorpion helmets with the motorcycling for a decade. And before influencers were even a thing, I had loved their helmets and told people about their helmets, recommended their helmets. And I would post photos on social media and started tagging them so people could find the helmet. So they reached out to me and they they said being an influencer, but really what I was doing, I wouldn't really call it being an influencer. Going back to what we were talking about, it's more being 
a brand advocate. I already loved their products, knew their products. I was advocating for their brands before I ever got on board. So when you get people like that, it's very honest and it's very authentic. Whereas on the flip side, say that you, like I had a personal injury law firm based out of LA reach out to me about posting about their their services. Well, they're, they're in LA, I'm on the East Coast, I've never used their services. And so they would be paying me to talk about their brand, but I've never even used their services or been familiar with them. And so that's an example where an influencer would be posting in a way that that's fake and not authentic. Allison, moving on to our next prediction and trend, I wanted to see what uh, what your thoughts are. This is something that our team had some overlap on when we were talking about predictions, but I'm particularly interested in your prediction around paid media and paid editorial contributorships. Yeah, so for longtime listeners, you've probably heard me talk about paid media before. Um, my background is in journalism, and so Paid media was something that I had a little bit of a hard time adjusting to when I came over to the PR side. And being the director of media relations, it's something that we use a lot. It is something that I see continuing to increase um, as we move forward. When it comes especially to consumer and product-based PR, so if you are a company that is trying to sell a product, you're in the retail realm, um, you are consumer-facing, and your media relations is very much consumer-facing, paid media has increased in popularity tremendously, and I believe that it's going to continue to do so. One of the big reasons for this comes down to money. The media world is so fragmented today. Fewer and fewer people are sitting down and watching broadcast television the way they used to, what that means is the rating points are lower than they used to be, which means that the ad dollars are lower than they used to be. Advertisers aren't going to pay the same amount of money for a smaller audience. So back in the, the 90s, 80s, I'm mean, even early 2000s when you had a much more loyal broadcast media base, advertisers were paying a pretty penny to have commercials run because they knew that there was an audience sitting down to watch the six o'clock news. That's not happening anymore. The baby boomer generation may still be watching the news like that, but none of the other generations are. There's still people watching the news, but they aren't watching it with the same consistency and loyalty and frequency that they used to. And so those ad dollars are dropping. When you go to online, Think about how many online outlets there are now, as opposed to what there used to be. There is a new blog, new online you know, media that starts every day in this country. And so it's so fragmented that if advertisers want to spend digital dollars for digital advertising, if an outlet is charging too much, they can go somewhere else. And so there's so much competition for those ad dollars. The media outlets are having to find different revenue avenues. And they see this kind of advertorial paid media as that opportunity. I see more in just a year, more regional broadcast outlets that have what we would call pay-to-play sponsorship shows. These are usually like in the late morning or mid-afternoon, an 11 a.m., noon, 3 p.m. time slot, where the entire show is, is sponsored content. You used to really only have those types of shows in larger markets. Now they're regionally expanding across the country. The same with your online outlets. 
that there used to be more opportunity to pitch well and, and get placed in, a, in an outlet, whereas now everything is pay to play, everything's advertorial. And a lot of it's very reasonably priced. We're not talking about some of it's not, you know, if you want to get on the Kelly Clarkson show, it's going to cost you $400,000, I know, because I talked to them this holiday season. Um, but there are regional outlets and, and online outlets that it, we're talking in the hundreds of dollars and sometimes even less to, to have one of your products considered for a list. But it's just going to continue to grow because they have to pay their staff. They have to have a way to continue to put out the content. The other piece of this that kind of goes along with paid is affiliate marketing. You know, an affiliate network is a service that connects publishers with brands. So they act as a middleman, if you will, um, so that the publishers, the media outlets, know which brands are interested in being listed and are interested in giving a commission. So you may promote a brand on your website, blog, or social network, if someone clicks on that link on your website and then buys something through your listicle, you get a commission. So it's not quite paying to have your product placed on the list, but if that placement results in a sale, the media outlet would get a commission off that. So that's another way to increase revenue for the media outlets and also to increase visibility for the brands. It's actually a really smart cooperative way for media outlets and consumer-facing product brands to, to work together. The final thing on the paid contribution that is for a different kind of media relations that I think that we'll continue to see increase for the exact same reasons, this, this need for new revenue avenues, is paid contribution. This is really more for thought leadership. So this is PR for businesses that aren't necessarily looking to sell a product. Maybe they're selling a service. Maybe it's a, an insurance company or wealth management or legal or medical, something where you're, they're trying to be credibly known as the expert in their field. Um, there are programs with very reputable magazines and newspapers and online outlets that you have to go through a pretty strict screening process to be selected so this they don't just let anybody pay to put an article on um, but there is like a subscription if you will um, where you pay you know whatever their fee is and then you become a contributor for them and it's it's like a yearly fee an annual fee that you pay your articles still are, are edited and they have to meet very strict journalistic guidelines um, so there's still a, a lot of value in, in the credibility there. But again, it's just another revenue source for these media outlets that also gives brands a good opportunity to be included in, in coverage. So, I, you know, we've seen that increase over the years and just the past year. I've seen it increase a lot. And I think that that's going to continue. We're, we're about to get into some of my favorite predictions because they're about data and, <laughs> and our team always jokes about how much I like data. So, uh, but, you know, in this day and age, data is everything. And there's actually a, a quote uh, that I really like from a, a data analyst that says, data is information and information is power. And when it comes to media relations, with clients, the ability to disseminate data in a potent and an influential way is just, is, is so important. And, and it really does have a ton of power with it because 
readers really value that ability to discern fact from fiction, and that's where data comes in. And it's something that not only an audience is really looking for in order to gain more insights, but media outlets really, really desire having data that can be shared. And so from a content generation standpoint, we've really been working with some different clients, especially the B2B clients that can really benefit from thought leadership and developing credibility, that if they can generate proprietary data via surveys or focus groups, research studies, and they can disseminate that data, then that's something that is just such a powerful tool that media outlets are going to to want to to jump on. And so one one of the examples I really like with this. And so in in our industry, we love HubSpot. HubSpot is, is excellent. They have so much amazing information out there and trainings and webinars and certifications. But one of the things that they do are trend reports that they put together. And they collect this information from sometimes thousands of different businesses. And and the purpose is to provide their audience with valuable information that meets the end goal of what they're looking for. The customers that they serve rely on their marketing products and services. And so therefore, they put together this, this trend report on inbound marketing that will then help those end users and provide them with insights that help them do their jobs better and help them grow their businesses. And so, for instance, we've, with the clients that we work with that are B2B, this has been a recommendation that we provide. And I think as a trend, we're going to see more and more businesses going this direction. And so the more that clients can invest in proprietary data, I think the more success that they'll see in a media relations campaign, since it is so valuable on so many different levels. When a business is looking to put together a strategy to disseminate proprietary data through a media relations campaign, really you need to start at the end and figure out what your customers or clients need, what they're looking for, what problem do they need solved, and then work backward to structure your survey and your research so that you can gain the right data that will help inform and solve those problems for them. And so it's a highly pitchable strategy, and it's something that will get picked up over and over again and reshared multiple times. Just for instance, we saw a survey by Muckrack that was shared over 10,000 times. I think that this is an area where where we hope to see more clients place some budget. And I, I think that we're going to be seeing it across the board. Yeah. I mean, coming from the journalism world, I, I always encourage clients and when we do workshops, talk about that this is a great way to have something that's actually news to actually have new data, new statistics, new information, and to be able to own and control the message that you're using with that data is a great way to get your pitch seen. So we had another kind of shared prediction, Sarah, that I want you to talk about, and that's the increase in need for owned media. 
Right. So with owned media, what we're talking about are assets that a brand has. So this could be video assets, infographics, testimonials, training resources, ebooks, blog posts. There's there's so many different options out there for owned content. You know, I love quotes. And so, of course, Bill Gates said about 20 years ago, the phrase content is king. And so in terms of trends and predictions, we expect content, especially this own content, to remain trending going into 2023. And brands need a robust arsenal of content because you have to have that ability to disseminate it in different ways to help your customers through the various aspects of the buyer's journey. Because when it comes to that buyer's journey and the marketing sales funnel, there's different pieces of content that relate and work best within different pieces of that funnel. As you get the customer from the awareness phase through the decision-making process to, to the end goal and finally making that sale and becoming your customer and eventually a repeat customer. This is where it's just uh, so important for brands and especially for agencies to be guiding their clients through the production of this own content. None of this is cheap, of course. Video shoots, as we have found for clients, are not cheap. Producing infographics is is not cheap. It's just one of those things that you have to invest in. And so a lot of times a brand will just go to like stock photography and they'll reshare that. They'll reshare third-party links. Well, well, they, they do not technically own those assets, and it just doesn't have the same value as producing original, creative, owned content that you're putting out there that will educate them, that will intrigue them, and will provide that value and interest that people are looking for. Just transitioning a little bit from talking about owned media. The other part of this trend looking at 2023 is also owned data. With this, we've actually been working with this client, Kogo Buzz, and this client really helped open our eyes in our agency quite a bit to the importance of owned data. Just to give you an example of what owned data is and why it's so important, owned data, for instance, is your is your customer list or your client list that, that you've developed and that you've accumulated over the years. That's where you're generating your leads or your customers that go enter your business. And when you have owned data like that from customers and you're able to integrate that with for instance, um, this client, Kogo Buzz, they offer Wi-Fi hotspots at different businesses, and they integrate that with social media, digital display, SMS. And when you do that, you're able to have people enter their personal information in return for accessing this Wi-Fi. And so therefore, not only do you have this customer list, but you also have some clear data that is attached to those customers. And that enables you to be able to target in a totally different way. Now you've got highly segmented customer lists that you can then market to. And you can market to them in a way that is very personalized. It's a, it's a very different way of going about it. So really, I think when it comes down to it, we've, we've talked a lot about data from a media relations perspective, but also just with that marketing sales funnel, it's just, it's just very, very important. That emphasis is going to continue to be placed 
And I think it's only going to get stronger as the years go by because we get more and more technologically advanced. It's not cheap to get the assets now. But for many of these things, once you put in the work to build the assets and to kind of build your toolbox, you don't have to do it every year. You know, once you have a great arsenal of of video and photos, you can use those over and over again. And where it does save you money is on the paid placement side of things, because if you own your own content channels and you're able to really make those work for you, you don't have to put as much money behind using third-party sources to get your message out. You can look at the long-term cost savings that putting the money into building your asset arsenal now could bring to you. That, that piece of it is, is absolutely huge. Yeah, the, the content piece, I think you can repurpose it too. Mm-hmm. When you get video clips or, or even photography, you can create image slideshows and, and cut down the videos. And you were talking about our client Kogo Buzz, and they kind of have this, this technology that has really helped with accumulating data that they now own, which is a great seg into your prediction about innovation and, and integration and how using all of these pieces together, the owned media and the data and all of it is going to be really important moving forward. I think all too often we see a lot of businesses that they market within silos. And, and a lot of times what will end up happening is a business may have one PR firm that's doing media relations. And then they have a marketing firm that's doing social media and a company doing SEO and another one, Google ads. And, and while it's nice to be able to spread the love a bit between different folks, what ends up happening is that you really lose that effort to have cohesiveness across all of them. And they really all go hand in hand. And so for instance, when you're executing a media relations campaign and those releases need to be optimized for search and utilizing keywords that can be beneficial for SEO and then resharing the media hits on social media posting that release to the blog on the website and the keywords used in the release, making sure there's some consistency with with Google ads and just having that message be cohesive across all of it. When you're marketing within a silo and you're not integrating all these different aspects, then you really lose out. And the statistics really show because an integrated marketing campaign outperforms non-integrated by about 300%. And that is absolutely huge. So really, that's where we see brands continuing to grow. And technology is such a big part of this. Technology has become more advanced to where it enables brands to be able to more effectively integrate all these different aspects of their marketing, more so than they ever could. And I think we're only going to see that continuing to increase as we see technological advances and innovation I think that's huge. And I think the the attribution piece is big too. For a PR firm, when you are 
trying to execute a campaign that's in a silo from other pieces of the marketing, attribution becomes extremely difficult. Whereas when we have that ability to handle all aspects of a campaign and integrate it, we're able to see all the metrics across the board that that message is generating. We're able to measure the media relations piece, the social, the SEO, access the the Google Analytics and all those different pieces that we utilize for attribution, we're able to tie together to truly show the success of a campaign. So it's just a, a big opportunity that ultimately is a big, big revenue driver for businesses. And so I think this is an area where PR firms can really be trying to guide their clients. We've talked a lot about data and technology, but social issues are a huge, huge trend right now. And you've talked a bit about taking stands and going woke before in terms of how that impacts businesses and how PR firms can guide their clients. And so wanted to see if you can elaborate more on this trend. Yeah, it's one that we've seen, especially in the past couple of years, the public is demanding its brands take a stand on various social issues, whether it be kneeling during the national anthem or pro-life, pro-choice issues, Black Lives Matter. The younger generations especially are insisting that their brands take a stand. And there are many people who make buying choices now based on the social stances of the brands and the companies. This is a little tricky because it's important. We always encourage clients um, to stay in your lane. And so if this is a social issue where your brand plays and works, um, it, it may be it may be an area that you need to take a stand. I mean, if you're Planned Parenthood, of course you're going to be taking a stand on Roe v. Wade. If you are a women's advocacy group, maybe so. Um, if you are a local Taekwondo company, maybe not. <laughs> um, but now it seems that it's it's expected of brands to post on social media exactly what they think about the latest hot button issue, to frame their advertising on television around whatever the latest trendy social issue is. Many times these social issues are hot and fast and, and burn out fast. And so you can do a lot of damage to your brand by taking a stand that divides your customer base. Unfortunately, our country is very divided these days, and so it's going to be really hard to please everybody. So unless it's a social issue that you feel is really in line with your brand and your company, we almost always advise to, to kind of stay out of it. There are some times that it's a human rights issue, and if you feel very passionate about it, we can help formulate the right response and, and the right words and the right way to go about it. Also, sometimes these things backfire. We've seen a lot of companies try to go woke, if you will, and be called out for being inauthentic. Um, companies who try to, to celebrate Black History Month, and then someone looks a little bit deeper into their, their staffing, and <laughs> it's, it's pretty obvious that it's an inauthentic Twitter post or social post. And so it can be a, a risky take if it's not really true to your brand and an area where your brand really exists. 
And I really kind of think that that flows into to Kelly's last prediction. Um, and this is about diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts. And she says that she really thinks that small to mid-cap businesses are going to be taking DEI efforts um, even more seriously and taking it a step further to put measurement in place to ensure success. So, you know, we've had, we've seen a lot of pressure on companies, large and small, to really up their game when it comes to inclusivity and diverse hiring. And now Kelly is saying that companies are going to take it a step further and actually put some measurements in place to to put their money where their mouth is and show where they're moving the needle on DE&I, have the metrics to prove that they're trying and have a proactive strategy in place for hiring practices and encouraging an inclusive work environment. It's becoming pretty apparent that this is, is going to be a developing strategy that really goes into strategic planning and isn't just something that sits on the shelf collecting dust. Large companies have been working on this for years, and now it's going to trickle down to our mid-cap and smaller businesses. For example, Fletcher has hosted interns from Project Grad and is helping to fund programs at a local college that raises awareness about careers and comms among minority populations and provides more access to resources and opportunities to learn and understand opportunities out there. I think that PR, we can say, has a diversity issue. So we're, we're trying to take some steps to, to do our part to make sure that the opportunities are apparent to anyone. We've really enjoyed sharing these predictions. I think when we decided to do this podcast on this topic and we sat down and started thinking about it, we all just really thought back to the work that we do for our own clients and what we're personally seeing out there as we work in this industry. And so this was something that we really tried to think through and to really, as we look at this year ahead and the future ahead, how we see PR changing and and what's going to be coming to fruition and how that's going to relate to the, the different audiences that our clients have. And so we really hope that this is helpful for everyone. And we do highly recommend working on planning ahead for this coming year. And so if you're a business and you've got an in-house marketing and PR team, this is a great time to be brainstorming and, and coming up with ideas for the year ahead, or if you're a PR firm, to be thinking about your clients and what predictions you have for those clients and how some of what we shared today can be incorporated. So until next time, follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, Fletcher Marketing PR. You can connect with Kelly directly on Twitter at KD Fletcher and follow Fletcher Marketing on Twitter at Fletcher PR. And you can send us any questions on Twitter anytime by using the hashtag misinterpreted. That's hashtag MSinterpreted. We'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us on Misinterpreted, Public Relations Demystified. You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at FletcherMarketingPR.com and on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll see you next time 